So it looks like everybody was able to make it despite daylight savings. <laughs> I don't know. Was it? Is it just me or like twenty years ago? Was it a big deal? And like this would be em- the room would be empty if daylight savings would happen. I think it's because of cell phones. Most people wake up to their cell phones at this point. Um, as Nate said, my name is Brad Rogers. I've been going to this church for about nine years. Um, and Nate had asked me to preach because he thought it'd be, you know, as we go through the book of Acts, that it'd be good to hear some different people preach and people talk about things. And so it was, it's a good chance for him to have a break on one Sunday. Uh, so I was willing to do that. And I really do appreciate him asking me to do it. Um, when Nate decided to go through the book of Acts, it was actually fairly interesting timing. Uh, Sarah and I were just fi- finishing up our stint as the youth leaders, and we had been going through the book of Acts. Um, we had decided to do that with the youth because we had done Galatians, we had done First Timothy, so we had done some of the other books, and so doing Acts kind of tied all those things together and gave the overall story of, of the early church. So we were pretty excited that Nate was going to go through Acts because it really, um, for the kids who were going to be in here and be able to hear it, it would be something that they could connect to when they were here because they had some familiarity with it and could see, you know, the narrative piece of it because sometimes the epistles get a little bit more difficult and a little bit more heavy uh, than a narrative would be. As we went through it, we used something that we, that is called the visual Bible. Anybody familiar with the visual Bible? It was something that was uh, made in the 90s. It was basically, um, they went through and they made the book of John, the book of Matthew, and the book of Acts as a video. And it uses the exact NIV translation. All of the words that are in it are the NIV translation of the Bible. So there's no interpretation. There's none of that. Um, so it's, it, it was a cool resource. It's a cool way. And actually, I w- it's on YouTube, so I would encourage people, you know, as we go through this and we get further into the book of Acts and you want to recap on what's been going on, then you can go back and watch the first couple chapters and kind of refresh uh, where we're at in the story. Uh, it has the added benefit of that it was a movie made in the 90s. Uh, not very, it's not very high budget. And so I wanted to show you what became our favorite clip in the youth group, and, it, and I'll, I'll just let it speak for itself. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. Uh, <laughs> my favorite part is the arms at the end. I don't, I don't know what, what led to that choice, but it, it's something that I challenge you to hear that verse and not see that scene when, when it comes up. And obviously, it, it became something fun. It was really cool with the kids because we would laugh about some of the scenes, but then they would really get into actually watching the video. So it was, it was a good kind of compromise as that went. Um, so today we are going to be in the book in the book of Acts, chapter nine. Uh, if you want a Bible, uh, raise your hand, and one of the ushers can can bring you one. Um, I'm going to jump around a lot as far as like where other verses. So if you ever if you want any of the references that I use today, just ask me, and I can get them to you um, through a different way. So, uh, so where where are we at? We probably should kind of recap. Uh, 
In chapter 7, you know, we had a lot of... Oh, let me step back. The church is in disarray. Chapter 7 happened, which was the stoning of Stephen. Uh, this was kind of an escalation in the persecution of the church. Um, before that time, they'd kind of been roughed up by the Jewish leaders and all that kind of things, but nothing as drastic as what happened to Stephen. Um, in the, basically, following that event, you know, the church was scattered, and they were kind of all over the place. Um, in, in his telling of the story of, of the stoning of Stephen, Luke mentions a man named Saul, okay? Seemed kind of random at the time if you didn't know what was coming. Uh, he was present at the stoning of Stephen. He acted as a coat rack. Uh, and it was, we we're told that basically he approved of the stoning that occurred. Um, and the reason that he mentioned it comes clear in chapter, why Luke mentioned Saul in that, is that in chapter 8 he says, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, put them in prison. So he's the figurehead of the persecution of the church at this time. All right, so the remainder of chapter 8, we had two kind of side stories that are occurring while the church is scattered, while there's persecution going on. Uh, two weeks ago, we heard Nate preach on uh, Simon the Sorcerer, and then last week, uh, Nate preached on uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, on a side note, I was doing sound last week, and Nate was preaching on, uh, on Philip and saying that he was known as the evangelist, and that at the end of that story, he's teleported 30 miles away. And I leaned over to Corey, he was sitting back there, and I told him that Nate missed the opportunity to refer to Philip as the first televangelist. Yeah. That was the response I was looking for. <laughs> I, I was like, he's missing it, he's missing it. And then I'm like, Meh, I'll just write it into mine, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so with that... Uh, we're kind of coming back. Beginning of chapter 9 kind of carries on the story where we were at. So we're going to watch the clip for uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything.
In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord. He answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and of all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eye and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. All right, so with that, I'm going to open us uh, in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I just ask that as we go through this story that you would enlighten things for everyone here, that you would give encouragement to the people that are here, and just I just ask that as, as I'm speaking, that it really be you speaking through me. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nate actually only asked me to preach on Acts 9, 1 through 9, but... If you were, if you're paying attention, uh, at at the end of verse nine, Saul is still blind, um, and I figured for the people who weren't familiar with that story, that would be better to, to tell the whole story. Um, I'm going to focus on the Saul part and let uh, Nate focus on the Ananias part next week. But I also considered writing a sermon called "The Blinding of Saul: How God Deals with Those Who Persecute You." Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sure it would have had many amazing points. All of them unbiblically sound, uh, not not biblical, so I decided to not go that direction. So if you're not aware, Saul at this point, uh, is he's known as Saul at this point, but he's also known as Paul, so just so there's no confusion. Um, Paul is it's the same Paul that about 30% of the New Testament is attributed to. Um, this his conversion is a big deal. Uh, one of the commentaries that I was reading when prepping for this made the statement that the conversion of Saul of Tarsus has been considered one of the most crucial events in the history of God's dealing with humanity. Um, as I was looking through things, I've, I, I just found that assertion pretty interesting and why, why we would say that. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about it as I went through, and I noticed two things that were of significance. 
One, I think that Saul's conversion shows how God deals with humanity on a personal level, and I think it also shows how God deals with uh, humanity on a, as a whole, so on a larger scale. So first, let's, let's focus on how God deals with uh, us on a personal level. Um, Saul's conversion is a complete about face. Um, as we discussed before, he was, you know, he was persecuting the church. He wanted to crush the church. Um, that was his. That was his goal, uh, and he had orders from the Jewish leaders to do so. So when he becomes a Christian and starts preaching the word of of Jesus and the name of Jesus, that is a huge change in the direction of what he his life had been. Uh, I think that his desire to crush the church is really based on the fact that he understood how significant it was. Um, to put it in perspective, he was a very important person. Um, if you look in Philippians chapter 3, he tells us that if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh or you know, worldly attributes, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You know, he basically hit all the high notes, made the checklist of all the things that a good Jewish person of the first century would want. And he, and he understood that if what Stephen and the church were preaching was true, then everything that made him important, everything that made him significant, everything he'd done with his entire life was no longer of any significance because it was a free gift for anybody. So, he understood that that was a big deal. Now, he could, he could have responded in a couple ways. Uh, the first way that he could have responded uh, was a way that um, was discussed in Acts chapter 5. Uh, if, you, if, you're not, if you don't remember, um, in that chapter, you know, the apostles are before the Sanhedrin. They're t- discuss, discussing whether or not they should have them, the apostles executed. And one, one person of the Sanhedrin stands up and uh, gives a different... Um, uh, gives a different view on what they should do. His name was Gamaliel, and so I'll, I'll just read you what he says to them. He says, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After, uh, his, after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from, excuse me, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. It's fair to assume that Saul, as a, as a Pharisee, was present when this, when this plea was given out. It's fair that he heard it. And basically, he re- rejects this, and he has a completely different view of, of what he should do. Basically, it can be summed up that Stephen argued that the new has come, therefore the old must go, where Saul argued the old must stay, therefore the new must go. Uh, and that's why he was so adamant about his persecution of the church. Um, but God had a different plan for Saul. Uh, we're talking about his conversion, and actually the English word conversion comes from a Latin word, which means to turn around. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Saul. So from an application standpoint, there are two things that I think are important here. First, we need to keep in mind that no one is beyond God's reach. Um, I think sometimes in, in our dealings as Christians, with, when we're dealing with people who are non-Christians, um, there, are, there are people here who, you know, you've, you've spent time and you poured into non-Christian lives and you pour into people that you want to see come to Christ and just see no movement. Or there's people who open up about their faith and get an aggressive response in, re, in return. And 
I just, I just want to encourage you that, you know, if, if Saul can be saved, anybody can be saved. And it just comes to our, our persistence and our listening to God. In fact, um, Saul talks about this in 1 Timothy when he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You know, he was the example of the guy or, or girl that was never going to come and never going to be respond to Christ, and yet he was able to be saved. And that's to show us that God can do anything. All right. And I would encourage you that sometimes, you know, it's not up to what you say or do. It's what you, how, what you hear from God and how you follow through on what God uh, tells you to do. Uh, it's been kind of a theme of the books for those of you who are in the small, participating in the small groups, um, the River Dwellers and Five Stones. That's been a big theme of both of those books um, about listening to God and following his lead. Um, and sometimes that lead is surprising. Sometimes we're told to do nothing. And I have an example that was kind of interesting. I'm reading a book called God Smuggler by Brother Andrews. Anyone here read that? It's kind of an older book. It's, it's from 1967. Uh, Brother Andrew was a missionary. Uh, he was from Holland. Um, he was there. Um, it, basically, he was working behind the Iron Curtain. So he was smuggling Bibles into the churches in Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia uh, while they were under communist rule. Um, before he became a missionary, he worked um, as, at a chocolate factory. Um, and he, he recounts the story of a woman that worked there. Her name, I'm going to call her Greta. That was not her name. It was Dutch, and it had many consonants, and I had no idea how to pronounce it. So we're going to go with Greta. <laughs> it was close. It's probably more German than anything. But. So she was kind of the example of that person that you never thought would come to Christ, the person who was going to be mean, who was going to make people uncomfortable all intentionally. And Andrew is encouraged to... Um, to invite her to one of the rallies that he's going to. And so he, you know, God prompted him, and so he did it, and she came. Um, and then on, his way, on the way back from this, she decided to come. On the way back, he, there, he was riding on his bike with her, and he, this is how he describes it. He says, as soon as we were in the country, I intended to face Greta with her need for God. But to my astonishment, the clear command that came this time was not one word about religion, just admire the scenery. Again, I could scarcely believe I was hearing correctly, but I obeyed. During the entire trip, I did not say a word about, to my captive about religion. Instead, I talked about the tulip fields we were passing, and when we got to her street, I actually got a smile from her. So, you know, he gets this kind of surprising word from God to just be quiet and say nothing, and, you know, even though he's confused about it, doesn't understand it, he um, follows and does what he's, what, what the, follows the word that he gets. So... The next day he comes in, and this woman is completely different. She's completely different than she was the, the, the week before. Um, and when he talked to her about it, she said, I began to wonder, does Andrew think I've gone so far that there's no turning back? Is that why he didn't bother talking to me? And then I began to wonder if maybe I had gone too far. Would God still listen if I said I was sorry? Would he let me start all over again? Anyhow, I asked him to. It was a pretty funny prayer, but I meant it. And Andy, I began to cry. I cried almost all night, but this morning I feel great. So there are going to be times when you're, when you're given a word, when you're told to do something by God that doesn't feel like what you think it should be. But our call is not to, to decide whether or not it makes sense. Our call is just to do it, and God can work in amazing ways. 
Um, the second thing that I, that I took from Saul's conversion on a personal level was that I think there's, a, there's another side to it that we need to consider. And I'm going to read from Acts chapter 26. It says, I t- this is Saul talking about his own conversion, so he re- it gets recounted a couple times throughout the book of Acts, and this is one of them. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And, what, and when they were put to death, I, ca- I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. If you, one thing I take from him talking about that is he didn't think he was the bad guy. When he, was, when he was pursuing the church, when he was pursuing people, he was doing what he thought God was calling him to do. He felt like he had to aggressively protect you know, the Jewish God and that this was going to be a challenge to that, and I'm not going to do that, and I have the authority of the Jewish leaders, so therefore I am in the right. Um, and obviously, if you read you know, some of his letters uh, later in the New Testament, there's, there's definitely some pride involved in this, so that's part of it. But I think we are susceptible... Um, to that as well, to be feel like we have to aggressively attack people and protect the word of God against the outward attacks. I think we live in a world where that is just the norm, that you can't listen to, if you hear something you disagree with, that you absolutely have to hate it and be aggressive against it. And that's on both sides. That's everybody. Uh, it's, it's, been a, it's, it's a weird world that we live in these days. And I would just encourage that we follow what James says, that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, we should be, we should be the people who are willing to listen. And that doesn't mean that we're going to change what we believe or change what God has told us or change the truth that we have. But it, is, it does mean that we should be patient with people, that we should be loving. And I think that that is gonna have, would have a huge impact in our world if we were able to do that consistently. And I know it's hard. It's, it's, it's something that we want to do. But we just need to be, remember that, you know, listen to what God tells us to do, respond in the ways that God tells us to respond, and that's, he's going to do the work through us. All right. So... Changing gears a little bit, we've talked a little bit about how Saul's conversion shows how God deals with humanity on a personal level. And I said that, to me, it also shows how God deals with humanity on like a larger scale. If you remember, in Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the first question I have is, how many thought of the video clip? Yeah, got a couple. <laughs> all right, sorry. <laughs> Um, in all seriousness, though, I think that the order of that is significant. I think the order of, that, of places that are listed is significant. It says, to, Ju- to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. And I know that might sound a little regimented, because we live in a time where, you know, the, the gospel's been released for everyone, and it's available for everyone. But if you look at the, the Gospels, Jesus' ministry actually focused on the Jewish people. He, he didn't really actively seek out any non-Christian or non-Jewish people throughout his ministry. And I'll give you two examples of when this occurred. Um, in Matthew chapter 10, um, we see that Jesus had, he had just called his disciples. He had the 12 listed, and he was going to send them out to do missions. And this is the directions he gives them. He says, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. 
Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim the message that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Jesus, in there, Jesus explicitly tells them not to go to non-Jewish areas, um, which sounds weird, and I, it, it's, it's kind of confusing. There's another story in Matthew where Jesus interacts with a Canaanite woman, and she comes to him and says, um, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer words, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. So again, out of context, both of these stories are a little could be a little bit confusing as to why um, Jesus is, is saying, is why this is kind of the way that it's going. But Jesus has, you know, there are a few interactions in the Gospels where Jesus interacts with non-Christians, but those are, and in every case, it's someone coming to Jesus out of faith and Jesus acting because of their faith. It's not something that he's seeking out. And so it's these exceptions that actually prove the rule that, as they say in Romans, that it was first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So why, why is this the case? Uh, there's a lot of answers to this question, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two of them. Um, the first goes back to Genesis, and in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So this, this, this verse is a reaffirmation of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Um, and God promised that it would, through Abraham's lineage, that the entire world would be blessed. So if, if basically, if God were to say, no, I'm going to go straight to the Gentiles and bypass the people that I made this promise to, that would be God not keeping his promise. And if there's anything true about God is that he's, gonna, he's, traith, he's trustworthy, he's faithful, he's true, he's going to follow through on the promises that he makes. So that's why, if he had, that's why it's so significant that it was focused on the Jewish people first. The second reason I would give is kind of more of a practical reason. Um, basically, all of the things about God that we knew before Jesus, we know through the Jewish people. It's all, all the promises, all the covenants, all the scripture came through the Jewish people uh, and through their interactions with God. If Jesus came and didn't, um, didn't connect to that, didn't come through that, it would just be viewed as its own thing. It would be the, this new God that was coming in to talk about you know, how, how this, this great message that they have, and it would be like any other mission that was occurring at the time. Uh, the Greek world, was, there was a lot of just religions popping up everywhere, gods being, uh, you know, being preached all over the place, and it was just kind of... It was just if it, it wouldn't have been connected to anything that had happened in the past, and if that was the case, it would diminish the value and significance of what Jesus was preaching and the fact that he was completing promises that he'd give given millennia ago. So it's it's significant that he's tied, and so that it comes to the Jewish people. So that's 
that's two reasons. There's more, and I can give you some more insight into that if you'd like, but those were the two that I thought were the most significant for that. So basically, in verse 15 of the, the passage that we're in now, when, when the Lord tells Ananias that, go, f- go for he is the chosen, invention of, chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. It, it, that, it's significant because that is a culmination of a millennia plan to bring you know, fruition to Ab- the covenant of Abraham. It's, it's going to bless the rest of the world, and God is finally doing it. You know, through Jesus, through the apostles, it's finally happening. Um, but it's still, at this point, looking ahead. You know, the, the word had not been released for the Gentiles at this point in Acts. It's not until chapter 10 when Peter has uh, a vision of, of a sheet coming down with unclean animals, and God tells him to eat and basically affirms that what God makes clean, he makes clean, and we have no right to question that. And then the following interaction with Cornelius, who is a Gentile, that is really when it kicks off, you know, taking this message to the Gentile people. So this hasn't happened yet. So it, to me, it's very exciting that in advance, God is choosing the instrument that he plans to take um, to these people. And it's significant because in Gal- if you look in the book of Galatians, Paul t- Saul tells us that he, he took three years before he interacted with the apostles. He took three years to prepare himself to go. And God knew that he was going to have to prepare himself. And so that's why in advance of releasing the message, he was preparing the person that he was going to send to fulfill that. So there's two things that I want to take away from this. Uh, first, keep in mind that God always has a plan. He's been planning to rescue us from our sin and from ourselves for thousands of years. And he has carried through that plan all the way through the Bible and all the way through net to now. Um, there's gonna, in that, there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. You know, the Israelites, if you look through the Old Testament, had a lot of pain and suffering, mostly because of their inability to follow the Mosaic Covenant, and they got all of the, the consequences that came with that. But God's, that didn't negate what God had promised because God is going to fall through on his promises. So there are going to be times where, you know, in our stories, there's going to be, there could be pain. And sometimes that means we're the Stephen of the story, but, you know, through our story, God has the ability to raise up Saul or the next person who can, you know, that he has a plan for. So just remember in those times that that pain can be used for um, future, future plans that he has for his people. Second, that he's going to prepare us. God is going to prepare us for what he calls us to do. Um, We've said it here many, many times, and I'll say it again, that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. In advance of what he's going to call you to do, you're going to get promptings to do things and prepare things and learn things that there's no reason for you to, you don't think there's any reason for you to know. Uh, Another example in that book that I was reading called the God Smuggler book, um, basically he was told to go get a driver's license. He got this word from a church that he was supposed to get a driver's license. You know, no one had cars. He had no vehicle. There was no reason to do it. But he followed through and did it and got his license and all that stuff. And one day a car showed up and said, hey, you need to have this because you need to be able to take these things, these Bibles and smuggle them into the behind the Iron Curtain. So just remember that God has a plan. It might sound weird. It might sound odd. But if you listen to that and you follow through, then he's going to prepare you for um, the things that he has for you. So with that, I'll, I'll, I'll invite the worship team up. Um, and I'll close this in a word, word of prayer. 
dear Lord, I just, I just thank you for this day. I, I just ask that um, you would encourage all the people here that if they have someone in their lives that they feel like they've been reaching out to, that they have been um, preaching to and trying to get to come to, to know you, that you would give them the encouragement to, to stay true to that and that you would be able to do the wonderful things in those people's lives um, that they would come to you. I say things in Jesus' name. Amen.